Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Amanda Borsell Dan here with our editor, David Horvitz, and health reporter, Nathan Jeff A. Hello to you both. Hey, Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Hello, David. We will hear about some truly breathtaking scientific innovations in the second half of the program, as well as a new peer-reviewed study on the safety of the new COVID boosters now found in health clinics. In the first half, David will share his thoughts on the potential ministerial appointments in the incoming Netanyahu government. But first, a short break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. And we're back. David, before we dive into this serious stuff, I know where I'm going to be on December 6th. How about you? Uh, hi, Amanda. So, yeah, it's uh, Tuesday of next week, just eight days away. It's the latest of um, the Times of Israel's series of TOI at 10 events. And in this case, it's uh, an, a nice movie screening. So you tell us more. Okay, that's right. So ahead of the nominations for Best Foreign Film for the Academy Awards on December 6th at Jerusalem's Yes Planet, we're holding a screening with English subtitles of Cinema Sabaya. That film swept Israel's Ophir Awards in September. And so Jessica Steinberg, my podcast partner in crime, will be speaking with its creator and director, Orit Fuchs-Rotem, on December 6th at Jerusalem's Yes Planet. Hope to see you there. Now, the world is watching as we learn of new details from the incoming coalition. And yesterday, we heard that Avi Maoz, who is the sole lawmaker of the Fringe Noam Party, we heard that Avi Maoz will be appointed as a deputy minister and the head of this to-be-created authority for Jewish identity, which will be under the prime minister's office. Could you please tell our listeners why this is uh, problematic, to say the least? Hi, Amanda. I don't know where to start, and it's uh, it's very distressing. Netanyahu is putting together a coalition. Uh, he and his allies won 64 seats in the 120-member Knesset. I don't know if it's even relevant to say that the most extreme of the 64, I'm not even sure if it's true, Perhaps the least supported of the 64 is, uh, is Avi Maoz of a viciously homophobic little offshoot party that would probably have got a few tens of thousands of seats if past history is anything to, to go by. So before the election, Netanyahu brokered an alliance on the far right, which saw Bezalel Smotrich, Itamar Ben-Gvir and Avi Maoz technically ally for the elections and win 14 seats. They've since uh, disbanded that alliance. So they're now separate factions. Uh, and Mr. Maoz is a faction of one. Uh, Netanyahu doesn't need him for his majority. He's not going to 
uh, make or break his coalition. He certainly doesn't need to give him any kind of government role. He's chosen to do so. He's chosen to elevate um, one of the most intolerant and, uh, I mean, I'll say unpleasant uh, in terms of attitudes and, and views and, and his declarations, uh, politicians, to a new job. And we don't know what it will uh, involve, but he is to be the government politician responsible for quote-unquote Jewish identity. They're setting up some kind of new authority in the prime minister's office. Uh, what rights this will give him, again, we don't know. But But why would you do that? Why do you think it's okay to do that, to put in someone to a position with a resonant title who is hostile to non-Orthodox Judaism, compared Reform Judaism to uh, the Nazis, uh, who's hostile to, to pluralism, to roles for women in the army, notably including combat units. But this week uh, he, he was declaring a desire to close down the units in the army that uh, uh, seeks to um, enable women to perform more meaningful service. He's uh, in favor of uh, therapy to reverse people's homosexual uh, inclinations, psychological therapy. If he is given um, some kind of genuine authority over immigration, which is apparently going to be the case, he's apparently going to be in charge of the body that, uh, that oversees uh, Jewish immigration, uh, notably from the former Soviet Union. He's somebody who uh, has made clear that he does not favor the grandchild clause, the clause in the law of return, that allows automatic citizenship for anyone with one Jewish grandparent. Um, he would uh, favor a halachic approach, not to Judaism, but to Israel's uh, willingness to take in uh, would-be citizens, rather than the, the, the lovely, tolerant, uh, ultra-Orthodox, uh, uh, embraced mindset of, uh, of modern Israel, which, which looked at Israel, Rabbi Avadi Yosef, the late spiritual leader of Shas, used to say well you're you know you, it's kind of that 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 famous line you're closer to god when you're uh, when you're in the holy land when you're in the jewish state and therefore we should be more welcoming to people who want to um throw in their lot with the jewish people and of course the law of return again not in terms of halachic judaism it doesn't make them halachically jewish but if you have one group, gra jewish grandparent that was enough for this country to serve as your refuge and for you to be allowed to throw in your, your lot with the Jewish nation in its ancient homeland. He doesn't support that view, and yet we understand he's supposedly going to be given some authority uh, over immigration. So it's just, uh, it's really, its critics have called the appointment a slap in the face, and I think that's putting it mildly. Another, to me, baffling appointment is that of Otsma Yehudit leader Itamar Ben-Gvir, who is set to be appointed to the newly created role of National Security Minister in this upcoming government. We heard on Friday about the creation of this brand new National Security Ministry, which apparently will also include overseeing the police and Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Tell us more, David. Yeah, I don't know about the last part in terms of, uh, of what oversight re relating to settlements. It certainly uh, apparently will include responsibility, uh, apparently, um, for border police units in the West Bank. Ben Gvir's erstwhile colleague in this now disunited uh, alliance, Bezalel Smotrich, is hoping in the job as finance minister to be given responsibility for the civil administration. There is no natural connection, uh, which does oversee uh, a great deal of, uh, of Israel's policies and activities in the West Bank. But Ben Gvir indeed has been promised a widened police minister role, this new, newly expanded ministry for national security. 
And yeah, mind-blowing. This is someone with multiple convictions. You know, there's the, the people who have arrested him and compiled cases for which he was prosecuted and convicted. Uh, is now going to be in charge of the police, the, uh, somebody with uh, radical positions in terms of open fire regulations and how to deal with uh, some of Israel's enemies, uh, is going to be in a highly sensitive position where he will be able to dictate policy uh, in terms of dealing with uh, some of Israel's enemies. It's not clear how this is going to sit with the defense ministry. As far as I understand, the defense ministry, as things stand, is responsible for border police units uh, in the territories, not the public security minister. Uh, and therefore, how is this going to be done? Is the uh, is the defense ministry and the army going to give up those responsibilities? I don't think so easily. We don't know who the defense minister is going to be. We think it will be somebody from uh, Netanyahu's own could. I don't think that will sit well with him. So, um, you know, Ben Gvir is the more notorious uh, provocateur and uh, I would say uh, with a history of racism, Having him in a in a major public security role is mind blowing, uh, and uh, Mr. Maoz, in a way, it's even more remarkable simply because Netanyahu doesn't have a coalition without Ben Gvir. He needed to give Ben Gvir terms that would ensure his support, and Netanyahu does have a coalition with uh, Avi, without Avi Maoz. He he need not have excluded him from his coalition, but he certainly had no political need to give him uh, a resonant and uh, prominent role. Uh, that sends a, a terrible message um, about Israel for, for Israelis and for people who uh, are, are interested in Israel's well-being and feel connected to Israel. If I was a non-Orthodox Jew living in the diaspora who cared a great deal about Israel, I would think that I was being sent a message here by the by the incoming prime minister. And it was a me- it would be a message that would say, well, you know, you're, you're not somebody who we consider falls under the rubric of uh, of Jewish identity because this guy's in charge of that and he he wants nothing to do with you. David, I would say thank you for these thoughts, but I'm so depressed. So let's all just take a cleansing breath during our break. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Amanda. We'll go to a short break now. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privilege to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4 by 4 Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag in a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie. 
their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Nathan, I don't know about you, but so many people I know are coming down with COVID again, perhaps because they didn't even consider the booster as an option. So tell us what a recent peer-reviewed study tells us about the new course of shots. What's happening here? So we've had fourth shots for a while, and in some cases, even fifth shots. And what's happened now is an Israeli piece of research into the safety of fourth shots. Now, you may think, why is that so important? Why is it important to have a study specifically on the safety of fourth shots? And I'd say the answer, and this is kind of a commentary, the answer is that a lot of people took first and second shots, and in many cases, third shots as well, seeing that as part of the original regimen of uh, vaccination. But people have been much more hesitant to take fourth shots and beyond a lot of people because they see the situation getting calmer and say, what's it needed for? What's the benefits? And talking much more about safety risks, about they just kind of weighing up the advantages and the disadvantages. And what's really important about this is really piece of research that just came out in one of the leading medical journals says, okay, the impact, the kind of uh, any side effects and that kind of thing that we saw from the fourth shot was basically the same as what we saw from the third shot. What we should say about this study, it was conducted on the Pfizer vaccines. We should also say that it was a study that took two approaches. It both looked at data on people's health records, what we call a retroactive study, but it also recruited people who were prepared to wear watches and that kind of thing to monitor their heart rate, to monitor their health after vaccination. And why that's so important and interesting is that otherwise you could say, okay, maybe people were having all sorts of side effects and weren't reporting them. And what's really important here is that people had electronic devices on them ticking away, looking out for side effects and still didn't find anything significant. Now, most people in Israel are no longer using a mask, except in, of course, the health clinics and things of that nature. But we can all understand that they're uncomfortable and cumbersome and you feel like you're choking sometimes. But a new company called Wisdom Wearables may soon blow the paper mask idea away. So, Nathan, what is their great idea that has already been peer reviewed, by the way? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I've that's really surprised me about the pandemic is just kind of the power of air. And I know that sounds like a bizarre thing to say, but, you know, at the beginning when people were saying, oh, well, you know, if you keep the window open, it makes such a difference. And, you know, people were skeptical, but, you know, the studies show you open the window, that movement of air, massive capability. You have a fan on in a room, massive capability to kind of diffuse that virus. Um, and what we have here is someone taking the principle of using air as actually a barrier. So saying, okay, instead of having that paper mask on your face, what would happen if you actually had something mounted on a baseball cap, which is blowing a very intense kind of sheet of air 
in front of your face. Could that actually block viruses from getting to your face? Research coming out of the Technion, one of Israel's leading research institutes, peer-reviewed, published in journal, indicates that yes, indicates this could have a strong capability to actually uh, fight viruses and could actually potentially be an alternative to a regular face mask. And they're now hoping to go into production with this. So I know there have been prototypes already made. Did you try it yourself yet, Nathan? I did not. I did not. But I would be very interested to try it. Uh, I was actually thinking about this. You know, if you go on a train, you fall asleep, your face mask gets knocked out of place. You know, if you have something which is actually putting the sheet of air in front of you, you're not worrying about that. It's there all the time. Uh, children, you know, it's there. It's blowing on their faces. If this does work, and that's an if, you know, we don't have the final product yet. But if this does work, I think it could be really interesting. I can't wait to try it myself. Now, another new Israeli med tech startup claims it can use voice analysis techniques through a phone app that they're calling Hear O to sound the alarm before the onset of congestive heart failure. It is still undergoing peer review, but can you say that Hear O really could save the day? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because what they did was they took a a cohort of people who had had heart failure and are therefore at very high risk of, I guess, what you could call a relapse. And they then got these people to use this app, speak into the app, then the kind of algorithms or the artificial intelligence analyze their voices. And what they found later, actually cross-referencing those records from the app to actual health records, was that in a very high percentage of cases, the app was actually able to predict the relapse. So, you know, if that technology is developed, is marketed, actually works, that could potentially save lives by giving people or giving their doctors a heads up saying, hey, this person is headed towards a relapse, change medication, increase supervision, all those types of things. So interesting technology there. Now, finally, just to close out, four South Sudanese children who have waited over two and a half years for heart surgery should be going under the knife here in Holon very soon. So how did they finally get the green light to come over? Yeah, so this is two Israeli organizations actually working together. One of them is Israel, an aid organization that is famous for, it, for its work in all sorts of disaster zones. And the other is Save a Child's Heart, an organization that gives children from various backgrounds, including often Palestinian children, heart surgery with experts here in Israel. And these two organizations started working together before the pandemic, hoping to bring children from South Sudan. Um, let's remember that South Sudan is this country that gained its independence relatively recently and uh, was for years embroiled in a very bloody civil war that caused many people to be internally displaced caused basically havoc in the health system and all of this. So humanitarian issues became a major priority there. And these Israeli organizations stepped in and said, okay, what we want to do is to provide uh, heart treatments for children who just can't get it in South Sudan. Um, that was just before the pandemic. And as you can imagine, that threw everything up, delayed things massively. Um, although thankfully, we're at a point where 
those children can still benefit from this treatment and four of them will be landing here in Israel tomorrow, Tuesday, um, which is just wonderful. They managed to complete all the bureaucracy, um, a massive amount of bureaucracy it takes as well. That's all been finished. COVID restrictions permit their travel, not alone, travel with a parent or in one case with an auntie. They're going to be here in Israel for months and obviously... Um, I think uh, I think the prospect that these children could come here, get that treatment and really kind of have their lives saved here in Israel is just wonderfully exciting. Wonderfully exciting and heartwarming. Thank you so much for this story to end out our show. Thank you, Nathan. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.